Welcome to another episode of Nebraska Gems. I'm Mike Melby. Have you ever wanted to know how you become a decathlete? What it was like living through the Night of the Twisters in Grand Island back in 1980? Where the passion for building your own furniture or even your own house comes from? Well, if so, then this episode is for you. Sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to one of the best storytellers out there. This is part two of my conversation with the lead announcer of NASCAR's coverage on NBC, Mr. Rick Schwieger. Let's go back to high school and track. You're at Grand Island Northwest. It, you ultimately became a decathlete. They do not have the decathlon, though, in high school sports, do they? They do not. Okay. So my question is, are you just that indecisive on not wanting to pick a single sport you were good at? Because obviously you were good at a lot of them uh, in, in track and field as you know being an athlete. But how, how did you arrive at... Uh, one, what, what age were you when you went, Hey, wow, I'm, I'm pretty fast. Uh, I got a pretty good arm. I, man, I, I got some hops. Um, I, I can, I can jump along. I can do a lot of things here. Where did that, where did that hit you ninth, 10th grade? And then how did you ultimately become a decathlete at, at UNL? There were numerous things that played into that. Um, I, like I said before, I'm very competitive, uh, with everything. I grew up, I'll, I'll take you back a little bit further. I grew up uh, going to a school uh, called District 28, Mile Bridge School, and from kindergarten through eighth grade, so nine years of schooling, there were four kids in my class. Uh, and I'll repeat that. There were only four kids in my class from kindergarten through eighth grade. Wow. So of those four, one was named Nancy Sim. She was the only girl. Uh, Steve Jardine, uh, a very close friend of mine who just passed away uh, last year. And Mark Mattingly. Uh, Mark Mattingly actually joined us in third grade and went from third through eighth with us and then has been a, a dear, dear close friend uh, all my life. But Mark was an athlete. Uh, well, Steve was an athlete too. Actually, Nancy, all of us, all of us thought we were athletes, but Mark was uh, probably the best. And so even through from kindergarten through eighth grade or, you know, third grade through eighth grade, I was competing against Mark all the time. That was kind of my guy that I'm like, I got to do better than him. And so into high school, uh, I, you know, dabbled in different things. I tried football my freshman year. It was terrible. So I didn't play my sophomore year. Uh, came back and played my junior and senior years of football. But I always was involved in track. I tried wrestling. I tried basketball. I got cut from my basketball team uh, my senior year uh, just because I was terrible at basketball. Um Still am. Uh, my kids are trying to make me better. But anyway, uh, uh, so anyway, I, I focused on basketball, but my friend Steve Jardine uh, was, and he and I, since we were able to walk or crawl or run, we played golf all the time in our neighborhood. And I loved the game of golf. He was phenomenal at golf. Um, I was okay at it. But my senior year, after having success uh, in track and field from my freshman year all the way to my senior year, uh, I decided I, the wisdom was there that, you know what, instead of track and field, I'm going to be a golfer. I think it'd be more fun. I'm just going to go out and play golf my senior year. It's going to be great. And see, so, uh, golf and, and track and field, uh, correspond as far as they're the same seasons. So I made the golf team and, uh, Charlie Gordon, our athletic director at, at Northwest high school said, uh, congratulations on making the golf team, but you're not a golfer. You're a track athlete. So you're going to quit the golf team. You're going to come back and you're going to do track and field. And I was a triple jumper. I was a 
a pole vaulter, and I would run on the four by four relay. And those were the three events that I did. That was it in high school. And so uh, I came back out for track and field. Uh, at the time, I knew that the school record for pole vault was 11 something. I think it was 11 six. And I knew that I was going to break that school record uh, and I was going to be a pole vaulter and it was going to be great my senior year of high school. Uh, I ended up breaking that record. Uh, I went to state and I think I was eighth in class B in pole vault. Uh, I was a triple jumper that was decent, uh, okay, and I had decent speed in the 400 meters. But at the state meet, uh, another fellow Grand Islander, uh, Devin Kosmicki, he said, he saw me and said, hey, you should be a pole vaulter. And why don't you come to the University of Nebraska? And I had received a couple uh, calls from different schools around Nebraska to be a two-sport athlete, you know, play football and do track and field. And so I was thinking I was going to be going to a small school. But when he said, you know, you should come to Nebraska and be a pole vaulter, I was like, man, that'd be pretty cool. Because obviously everybody in Nebraska, uh, when you're growing up, at, at least at my time, uh, we all looked at the University of Nebraska and the football team and everything as being, that's the greatest. I've got to be there. That, that would be the ultimate goal. And so when they actually called me uh, and said, hey, would you walk on the track team? Uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to. That'd be great. I don't even know what that means, but I'll do it. Uh, that's <laughs> phenomenal. So uh, I show up at Nebraska. I you know, get enrolled in all the classes, show up at Nebraska, show up for the first uh, practice, and just absolutely love the atmosphere, the people that were on the team. And I thought, man, this is great. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the greatest pole vaulter at Nebraska. And so my freshman year, I went from, you know, vaulting in high school at like 12 feet or uh, I think it was 12 and a half feet, something like that. Um, I increased two feet to like 14 and a half feet, 14, six, uh, my freshman year. And I'm thinking, man, this is great. I am loving this. This is perfect for me. Uh, I'm going to be a great pole vaulter. And I'm, I'm a tall kid. I grew, actually, when I got to college, uh, I grew almost an inch and a half, almost two inches, uh, to where I'm about 6'6". Six, six. And they're saying, you know, hey, you've got great leverage. You're going to be a great pole vaulter. And so uh, really right at the end of the season, my freshman year, uh, Coach Pepin, Gary Pepin, calls me into his office and he says, okay. And I'm thinking he's going to say, you know what, you're doing great. Uh, you know, maybe we'll give you a scholarship or something because that's, that was my mindset because I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm good to go here. Well, he calls me in and he goes, Rick, pole vault's not going that great. And I'm wondering if you'd want to be a decathlete. And I kind of, <laughs> my bubble burst because I'm thinking, wow, I thought he was going to, you know, tell me that I was a great pole vaulter. And he says this word decathlete. And I, I kind of looked at him. I said, oh, okay, I don't know what that is, uh, but whatever it is, I'll do it. And he said, well, it's a uh, multi-event where you do the 100 meters, the long jump, the shot put, the high jump, the 400 meters on the first day, then the 110 high hurdles, the discus, the pole vault, the javelin, and the 1500 meters on the second day. And I thought, hmm okay, I've done one of those things, <laughs> but I'll do it. Sure. Whatever you say, uh, I'll do that and I'll, you know, try to be the best I can at it. And so, uh, it was that event that happened at the end of my you know, freshman year at the university of Nebraska that put me down the path that I think has gotten me to where I am today. Um, I knew I had to learn new things. Uh, I knew, you know, with my competitive nature that I wanted to be the very best. 
Um, and once again, I, you know, set out and I thought I'm going to be the school record holder at the university of Nebraska in the decathlon. And so, uh, that was my mindset. And I, I don't think anybody worked harder than I did, uh, throughout that entire, you know, time that I was at the university of Nebraska. Uh, and I mean that across the country. Uh, we, I had a great coach, uh, Steve Rainbolt was my coach and he helped me through, uh, growing, getting better, uh, to the point where as a, you know, a senior at the university of Nebraska, I qualified for the Olympic trials. Uh, I was there at the Olympic trials. Um, I went on, I trained with Dan and Dave. I've competed internationally. Uh, I had, you know, great success and I look at that and I think, okay, that's really what the foundation for where I am today, that's where it came from. Uh, the work ethic that I knew I had to put in, I uh, had to work harder than anybody else. Um, I wasn't gifted with, you know, physical attributes that, uh, made me the best out there, but I just made it a point that I'm going to work harder than anybody else that's doing this. Um, and that's just, that was the mentality that I took with, uh, everything in the decathlon. And that's kind of what I've taken now with everything else in life. Well, and it truly is. And your success shows that the hard work pays off, but as, as you get older, have you noticed that you, you tend to work smarter as well? Uh, you, you find that, you know what, I can accomplish the same thing with not quite as much effort if I simply do it in a smarter way, a better way. Yeah. And that's, I think that's something that is, that's one of the things that you learn being a collegian, um, or, you know, maybe even, uh, when you start off at a new job, um, you learn that, uh, where, you know, the people with experience will tell you, you know, you've got to, you got to make sure that, uh, instead of just working your tail off to where you're exhausted at the end of the day, put all your efforts in things that are going to make a difference. And that's what has, you know, that's a great point, Mike. I, I have done that and continue to do that and try to convey that to my kids, to, you know, the people that I work with. Um, you know, you don't, you don't have to be the hardest worker, although I, I have a great appreciation for that when somebody is passionate enough that they're, you know, put in, you know, as much work as anybody else out there. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, you, you always want to find the way that you can accomplish the most, um, by, you know, doing, uh, the most efficient work. And so, yeah, it, it you do definitely want to work smarter. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, I I've tried to do that as well. And I think that comes with age, you know, now that I'm a, uh, I guess 53 year old, uh, here soon, um, I think you, you, my body's telling me also, you, you need to work smarter, not harder. I'm living that as well. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a tip on the whole aging thing. I did it when I turned 50 and about a week before I turned 49, somebody asked me how old I was. And I said, well, I'm almost 50. And they go, when's your birthday? I said, it's in about a week. And they go, oh, your big 50th birthday. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm actually only turning 49. But I mean, technically it's only a year away, so I'm almost 50. So I was 50 in my mind for two years. And so when I finally turned 51, it was like, wow, that, you know, 50 wasn't bad. I, you know, whatever. And then I turned 52 in a year and it was a huge shock, but I'm redoing it. I'm currently almost 55. <laughs> and so here in about 18 months, I'll turn 56. <laughs> so just, you're, you know, you're 
You're looking way ahead. Uh, my body tells me differently, though. I've had uh, two back surgeries. Both of my shoulders have been operated on, uh, knee scoped. Uh, my body tells me you are 53. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my body sometimes tells me you're older than 53. Yeah, I, I, there's there's times I think I'm in my 70s. So um, I want <laughs> I want to touch on something, and and it, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time on it because it's it's been a, a long time ago. Um, but on June 3rd, 1980, um, a horrific thing happened in the town that you lived in. You were living in the town. You were uh, outside playing. I don't know. I, I heard you talk a little bit about it. And I, if you would share a little bit about the night that there were, I believe, 10 tornadoes in Grand Island, June 3rd, 1980. Yeah, one of the, you know, one of the craziest nights of my life. Uh, I was a baseball player at the time. Uh, I got home from playing baseball. My mom actually was working uh, at the airport outside of Grand Island. Uh, and so we were, my sister and I were at home alone. And the reason I say I was, you know, playing baseball that day is I remember we, uh, we heard that there were going to be, there was tornadoes. Uh, the tornado sirens were, you know, going off. I remember for some reason, I still, I, to this day, I'm not sure how I heard it or what, but I remember going through my house and cracking windows, opening windows like an inch. Um, and I don't, I don't know why I did that, but somebody I think had some point said, you know, the pressure does stuff or damages. And so I had opened the windows in our house, um, in 1980, I think I'm 11 years old. Uh, yeah, I was about to turn 12 and, uh, so I take off with my sister, we go running to another neighbor's house. Uh, that was, I lived in a, in a neighborhood uh, on the southeast corner of uh, Grand Island. But I ran with my sister to this neighbor's house because they were, it was an older sister, younger brother situation. They were also home alone without parents. And so we ended up in their crawl space with a little transistor radio listening to the radio telling us about these storms that were hitting and the tornadoes and all this. And so uh, the wind was blowing ridiculously when we were running to their house. And I remember that and I thought that was crazy, but it was still light out. When I when we went into their house and went down into their crawl space and sat down there, we were down there for hours. Uh, it was you know probably three, four hours, five hours. And the... Uh, the radio had said it's all clear, and it was probably midnight, maybe a little bit after. Uh, but the one thing we remember when we came out of the crawl space, uh, all four of us, again, you know, we were, I think my sister at the time was 13, um, 13 or 14. Again, I was 11. The other girl that was there was also in the 13, 14 range. Uh, and the, the, my friend, the guy was, uh, my same age, 10 or 11. And so we got out from the house and, you know, we heard things. We didn't know exactly what we were experiencing. Uh, it was the first time for us in that situation. And so we went out and we opened the door uh, to their house and we're looking across the street. And this neighborhood was uh, pretty heavily populated. And so we immediately thought, well, what's strange is, is, you know, we don't have any power in our house and there's no power 
you know, anywhere else in the neighborhood. So it was so un- incredibly dark and we just were looking out and we couldn't see anything. And we thought, man, this is really weird that you just, you can't see anything. There's no stars, there's no, not the moon, anything. It's just so dark. And about that time when we were all talking about it and saying it, a lightning bolt, uh, crashed off in the distance and it gave us enough light to that we looked across the street and where there used to be houses there was nothing like it was 100% leveled to the ground and I think our minds couldn't comprehend what we were looking at and so you know we immediately are thinking what in the heck is going on you know this is incredible and so about midnight or one you know in the morning we are out walking around and watching as lightning strikes and noticing that I would say probably 60% of our neighborhood was leveled. It was gone. And so, you know, at, at the time we were like, man, this is incredible. And we didn't have parents. Uh, neither of us, you know, neither of the families had parents. And so we're, you know, this is prior to cell phones and any of that other stuff. So we have no way of contacting our mom uh, they have no way of contacting their parents. And so it was a really weird scenario. And it ended up being, you know, for those that know about the June 3rd tornadoes, it ended up being one of the worst uh, disasters uh, in the United States at the time. Um, and it's still, I think, in the top 10 of worst uh, tornadoes ever to, you know, wreak havoc on a town. So it was pretty incredible to experience that as a, as a young kid. Um you know, the stories after the fact, my mom, you know, talks about how she was yelling at state troopers and, and sheriffs and everything about how she had to get to her kids. And they were telling her she couldn't because, you know, there were power lines across the road and that she'd, you know, be electrocuted. And she was like, I don't care. I got to get to my kids. You know, <laughs> so, you know, she's arguing with these people. And I think back to it, you know, I can't imagine what she was going through. Uh, at that time, because I think, you know, my kids, I, I would want to know, you know, where my kids were, if they were okay. Uh, and there was no, you know, way to communicate. And so she had no idea. And you think about that, you know, here's your 13 or 14 year old daughter and uh, your, you know, 10, 11 year old son. And <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea, you know, if they're okay. And so it, it was a scary time. It, you know, obviously is, you know, we tell the story uh, quite a bit now. Um, and it came up, uh, just recently, actually that June 3rd date, uh, this year, um, I'd mentioned earlier, Steve Jardine, the, the golfer friend of mine and, and my lifelong friend, he actually passed away, uh, last year on my birthday, uh, June 17th. And so we're having a charity event, uh, for him. Um, and there's scholarships that are set up for Grand Island Northwest and Grand Island Senior High, uh, in his name, but it will be on June 3rd. And so when we picked that date, all of us were kind of like, wow, you know, that's a, that's a crazy day in Grand Island history. And obviously we're going to have an event, um, for him on that day. So yeah, June 3rd has been, uh, June 3rd has been on my mind for, I guess, almost 40 years now. It's pretty, uh, pretty crazy. That is, uh, I, I gotta ask the movie night of the twisters, love it or hate it. <laughs> I mean, it did star well, Mr. Bo Duke himself, John Schneider. And yeah, it may, have, may have been better if it would have been Catherine Bach instead. But I'm just saying. Yeah, it, it uh, it's funny when you see those kind of shows and you think, well, what did I experience? And people talk about trains and you know that kind of sound, and I, none of that really resonated with me when it happened. And I, it was probably because I was just so terrified and you know down in a crawl space 
listening to a transistor radio while all that destruction was happening around us. But um, yeah, the, the movies, obviously the reason that you go to movies is to be entertained. So they try to make it as entertaining as possible. Absolutely. Um, a, a couple more before we get to some rapid fire questions. And, and I'm, I'm going to kind of group two of them together. Um, one, how did you meet your wife, Chris? And then uh, proud papa time. Tell me about your kids. So uh, my wife and I uh, have been married now over 27 years. Uh, she's amazing. And uh, we're excited about the fact that we've uh, been able to live our lives more or less together uh, since we met, which it happened at the University of Nebraska. Uh, she was a softball player at uh, University of Nebraska. She's from Southern California, Orange County, and she came out to Nebraska to play softball and be a part of the softball team. I met her there. I was immediately enamored by this Southern California, blue-eyed blonde uh, that was just an amazing person. And so uh, I proposed to her actually as the announcer uh, for softball for an alumni game. Her first year out of being a competitor is when I announced the alumni game and I got on the and proposed right there uh, on the ball field. And That's thankfully fantastic. she said yes. And now we have uh, two wonderful boys. Um, we've lived in North Carolina again since uh, 2003. But our boys have grown up. Uh, my eldest son, uh, Eric, is uh, 24 years old, and he is uh, very interested, you know, interestingly enough, in movies. Uh, and so he's a part of the movie industry. Uh, he is now out in Southern California. He goes to the Warner Brothers Studios now uh, on a daily basis because he is working on Aquaman 2. Uh, he's a production assistant for the uh, post-production of that movie and loving life. He has a great time other than the fact that gas costs uh, a ridiculous oh, amount uh, exactly. and he travels a lot uh, as far as going from uh, home to work every day. Uh, and then my youngest son uh, is 23, just turned 23 years old. Um, he uh, was a, a basketball player uh, throughout college, uh, had a great uh, career. Um with Princeton first, got his degree there, uh, played basketball, and then uh, did the transfer portal, played for Loyola Chicago, uh, who's famous for Sister Jean, yep. uh, played there uh, last year, uh, was a part of March Madness, uh, part of the NCAA tournament, and uh, has had great experiences and now is going to be a professional basketball player. So uh, more than likely he'll end up in uh, – in Europe, uh, at least to start off with, that's kind of his interests. Uh, he wants to have experiences in life. So he wants to give that a shot where he can see a little bit of the country or excuse me, of the world. Um, and so Ryan is, is pursuing that right now. So, uh, we're really proud of, uh, of both our boys. Um, and just, you know, the, the family has been spectacular. Uh, it's, that was kind of my goal in life is to be the best father, uh, I could possibly be. And so I, I work at it every day, and hopefully uh, I can accomplish that uh, at some point in time. Uh, at least, hopefully, the kids think that. Exactly. That's that's every every parent's goal, I believe. With what I know about you, and and uh, obviously with the the accomplishments that your your kids have already achieved, uh, I, I think you're doing pretty well in in the good dad field. So, um, 
you said you, you've lived in, in North Carolina. You live on a farm kind of in, in Matthews, North Carolina. Am I correct? It, it's just outside. It's actually Weddington. Uh, it's very okay. close to Matthews, but yes. Uh, and I call it a farm. It, <laughs> it's, it's five acres. Uh, there's a barn uh, on the property. Well, and then I, it's a farm. It's got a barn. It has a barn and it, it could be considered a, a farm. Although the only thing that we really grow uh, is grass and flowers. Uh, so there's Fair enough. probably not in the Nebraska sense of the word a farm, but I like to call it a farm because it's kind of my little oasis um, that's away from everybody, kind of the big cities. Uh, I'm surrounded by trees and uh, it's it's pretty great, uh, great setting. So we've been very lucky that uh, we we were able to get this property and and have uh, done the things we do. But I, this is kind of so interesting with my job. I travel a lot and a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, what do you do for vacation? My vacation is when I get to come home uh, and be with my wife and my kids when they were here uh, and just experience kind of that downtime of, you know, being where you want to be. And so that's where my little farm which uh, I feed deer. You, if you follow me on social media, um, we have deer and I have kind of taken them on as my pets and I feed them every morning, every night. And they come and they actually look for me if the food's not out there, which is kind of fun too. I, I love that. And and I along with that, you and I have a, a couple of similarities. Uh, I, during COVID, got back into woodworking. And I know that you make like finished furniture. I have seen, I do follow you on social media and I have seen some of the things that you have made. It is incredible and amazing. Tell me a little bit about, and this is kind of the last question before we get to the rapid fire. How did you get your start in uh, doing the furniture building and, and that interest in woodwork? And it, it, just so you know, your deer are my squirrels. Uh, I, I'm sitting, <laughs> looking out my window right now in my backyard, and there are six squirrels in my backyard eating at my plexiglass peanut feeder with a hinged lid at two of my squirrel picnic tables and on one of my corn feeders. So, and then they're running around the yard. So I, I like you said, we have that same passion to, to kind of interact with nature. Yeah, we don't have the same love of squirrels here. My wife loves birds, and so she has bird feeders, and she hates the fact that the squirrels try to climb up and eat the bird seed uh, out of her bird feeders. But um, but as far as woodworking goes, and that's another thing that I love about this property is the barn I've converted into a wood shop um, where I do make furniture. I, I, I built every cabinet uh, in my house Um I built my house. So that was kind of fun. I, I love it. It's really relaxing for me uh, to just take a piece of wood uh, or, you know, a sheet of plywood or whatever and make it into something um, that, you know, you have to have the vision to do. So I, I love that. And that all started back really when I was in college in Lincoln. Um, and it was because of my uncle, uh, Ken, my aunt Francie, they lived in Lincoln and I would go there uh, on a regular basis, uh, most of the time to do laundry, uh, but which was great. Uh, and he was getting into woodworking, was a little bit in woodworking. And so he uh, had a shop, a little shop uh, on the back of his house. And I would, you know, dabble a little bit with him. We would make different things. Um, it was kind of a, whatever was the trendy thing at the time. I know that we you know, we're making pens out of wood. Uh, we were making different things. Uh, at one point in time, we actually made uh, the podium for the University of Nebraska athletic media 
room. Um, we had made that podium and it was kind of fun to watch Tom Osborne stand at that podium uh, and give his deliver his messages and things. And I think, yeah, I made that podium. That's pretty cool. Uh, but that's where it all started. And it, it, it really, for me is just a, just a relaxing, uh, time for me when I can go and I don't have to think at all about, you know, work or whatever else is going on, um, in life. I can, I can go into my shop and I just, uh, if I want to create something, normally what happens is my wife sees something in a magazine, she'll point at it and say, can you make this? And of course I have to answer yes. Um, and yep. so I'll make that piece of furniture or, uh, whatever it is, um, that she, you know, has pointed to and said, Hey, could you do this? And so that's kind of where it all started. And it's just, it's grown now to where I, you know, I love challenges and different things. And, um, so I'll just, I'll, you know, kind of make whatever we need, uh, or build whatever we need. And that's, uh, that's kind of been a very relaxing time, but it all started with my uncle Ken, uh, back in Lincoln. Uh, when we would go hang out, we actually built a bigger shop on the back of his house. Uh, so that was a lot of fun as well. Taught me that I can do about anything. If I, you know, think about it, uh, I can build, you know, whatever needs built. Uh, and so that's been a, that's it, been a great gift. Uh, in my life to be able to do stuff like that. Well, and, and the gift is that, that ability. I, 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 like I said, I have seen some of the pieces of furniture you've made and it, I put it in a, in a, in a store and there's going to be a price tag with a comma. Um, cause it's well, that well made and it looks that good. I will, I will admit, um, there was a, a piece of stickly furniture that I was like, Oh, that's really cool. Um, and I think I can make that. And it was, it's a, it's a piece of furniture that's actually, it's a shelf. Uh, it stands about six feet tall and the sides are angled and really it's all about angles, but there's no nails, uh, no screws, no anything in it. It's uh, held together by pins on the top and the bottom, um, wooden pins. And I made that, man, a long time ago. That, that was actually, I made in Lincoln, uh, probably with my uncle, but I made it a long, long time ago. And it was recently within probably a year or two ago, we were walking through a furniture store and they had a bunch of stickly furniture and that very shelf that I had made was there. And I was like, oh my gosh, I made that, you know, and I kind of was looking at it and I looked yeah. at the price tag and it was over $6,000 and I went, wow, <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> that they would charge that much money for something that, you know, for me and for woodworkers, we realize, you know, uh, in this day and age right now, obviously wood's a little more expensive, but I made that, I, I'm sure I made that shelf for at the time, you know, maybe $200 or $300 wow. or something, probably at the most. And to see a price tag on there, like six or eight, I was like, well, if announcing doesn't work out, I guess I know <laughs> what I'm going to do next. I, I got to start doing finish work. I make picnic tables for squirrels and <laughs> <laughs> they're appreciative. Obviously, if they're appreciative, if they're hanging out. Yeah, uh, that's that's incredible. Um, okay, let's. I want to jump through some some rapid fire questions, and then we'll let you go. Uh, being, um, I'm going to start it off with 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 cars because obviously you're the announcer for NASCAR, uh, the Cup Series on NBC. So, what vehicle did you learn to drive in? Uh, first vehicle, 14 years old. I bought a. I say I bought. My mom bought a '66 Mustang that was in uh, a field, didn't run. I, uh, with my dad at the time, we worked on it, got it running and we paid $125 for that. So I learned to drive with a three speed 289 Ford Mustang. 
Nice. What is your dream car? Huh, dream car. Uh, I probably have gone through a few cars to be my dream car. Uh, at the time when I first got into television, I thought a BMW was the greatest car of all time because I knew I could never afford one. Uh, I had the opportunity uh, to purchase one and I drove a BMW for probably two years and realized that I'm a truck guy. So uh, <laughs> I drove that for you know a couple of years and then uh, what I drive now is a 2016 Chevy Silverado and it does everything I need it to do, especially when I need to carry wood back to the shop. Exactly. How many different types of cars have you driven on a racetrack, i.e. race cars, and what was your favorite? Um, I have driven, I drove a truck at Nashville with Bobby Hamilton. Uh, I dr I've driven uh, with the Richard Petty driving experience. Uh, I drove a car at Charlotte Motor Speedway. That was really cool because I thought I was going faster than everybody had ever gone in their lives. I had Kyle Petty in the passenger seat, which was crazy because he tells me now that was the dumbest thing he's ever done in his life. And then <laughs> uh, I didn't drive, but I did a ride along with the IndyCar series at Phoenix. And wow. that was probably uh, the most scared I've ever been in my life in a race car. Uh, because we had just finished doing qualifying um, on NBC and the two cars had crashed in turn one in qualifying. And so I had those visions in my head as I was climbing into the back seat of this two-seater Indy car. And we ended up going, I think, uh, I'll probably get it wrong, but I think we averaged 150 miles an hour around a one mile track at Phoenix, which, uh, is ridiculous. Like we faster than any NASCAR, uh, you know, car would go on that track. And I just think that was probably, uh, one of the craziest experiences that I've ever had. Sounds like it. Uh, what was your first job? First actual paying job? First job was, uh, detasseling in Nebraska as a lot of kids know that's a, a way to make some money. It was, uh, probably one of the worst jobs I've ever had in my life too. Yep. Just, I don't like to get dirty. And when you did tassel, you get dirty. And so it was, it was pretty crazy. Uh, I think I got fired from the first job uh, of detasseling because I would run through the field and get to the end first because I hated to be out in the field, what felt like on my own. Uh, and they fired me, but then later went back and uh, worked with my friends on a detasseling crew so that was probably the first first job that I ever had was detasseling when I was young. Nice. What is your favorite word? <laughs> uh, favorite word. That's a great question. Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite word. Um, I use exciting probably too much. Uh, but you know what? I guess uh, passion would be a favorite word of mine because uh, that's the way I think I I do my job. I do the things I enjoy doing. I, I have a passion for them. So I would say probably passion. What I was going to ask you is where is your favorite vacation spot? But I already know. Um, so other than the farm, do you have a favorite vacation spot? So I do. Uh, I will say anywhere I can spend with my wife is my favorite vacation spot. We've been very blessed and lucky uh, to 
have the ability to do some things that I don't think I would have ever imagined in my life that I could have done growing up in, you know, Nebraska in a small town and um, just going to a country school. I, I didn't know that the sights that I had set for myself when I was young, that I could achieve the things that I have. And so uh, we did a trip to Italy uh, about three years ago, right before COVID, um, the year before COVID. And it was incredible. Uh, my wife and I went with a, a couple uh, that was from our neighborhood that were very close friends. And so I would say that's probably one of the greatest uh, things I've been able to do is see a little bit more of the world. Uh, we did, you know, Italy. And then my wife is a tennis player. She loves playing tennis. And so we went to uh, the French Open also uh, as a part of that trip from Italy to France and to Paris. And um, just seeing things like that, uh, you know, the the statue of David, uh, the actual statue of David, or uh, seeing the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel and just things that, you know, a, a small town kid from Nebraska, you just, you think, okay, is that possible uh, to do things like that? And it ended up being, yes, it was possible. So uh, being able to see the world with my wife is, is probably my favorite vacation. Awesome. What movie do you find yourself quoting the most? Uh, either Fletch or Caddyshack. And that's just because <laughs> I'm a Fletch. huge fan of both of those. Um, and I have no idea why the Chevy Chase thing has been so big in my life, but those are just, those are movies that we grew up with. Um, you know, kind of in those transformative, transformative age, uh, where you were thinking about different things. So it's probably Fletch and Caddyshack that, uh, I, I could probably recite all the lines. I, I would be close, I'm sure. Um, what game show, any time frame, would you want to be on the most? Jeopardy. Love it. Uh, we still watch it today. Uh, Jeopardy is phenomenal. Um, yep. It's so much fun to do, you know, with my family. And uh, you just, yeah, I just love Jeopardy. Now, would I be any good? No, I wouldn't be any good at Jeopardy. But it's fun <laughs> to, you know, kind of soak it all in. There's some really smart people in Jeopardy. There really are. All righty. Cats or dogs? Uh, definitely dogs. Okay. Summer or winter? Summer. Sweet or salty? Sweet. When you get into a pool, do you dip a toe or do you cannonball? Cannonball in, babe. What was the last thing you searched for on Google? Uh, truck bed cover. Uh, we're planning on going out to see my son in California, and uh, we're leaving in about three days, and I'm trying to figure out how I can cover up uh, my golf clubs and some other things that are supposed to go in the back if it rains. So just Googled it today. Nice. What's your favorite holiday? Um, favorite holiday would probably be Christmas. Okay. What is the best Halloween costume you've ever worn? Wow. That's good. Uh, Jackie moon, probably. Um, <laughs> that was I did. I did it up there. I had the wig and my eyes, uh, makeup and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, Jackie moon. That's fantastic. Last one. Name a four letter word that starts with any letter. <laughs> I play wordle with my family right now. And those are five letter words, but, uh, a four letter word that starts with any letter. I will say love. Perfect. Rick Schwieger, thank you very much uh, for joining us here on Nebraska Gems. 
the this is exactly why we wanted to do it. Uh, you shared some unbelievable stories, uh, and and I'll be honest, you probably have got a few more. We may have to do a round two uh, a little bit down the road. But uh, again, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic getting to catch up with you here. And uh, safe travels going out to California here in a couple of days. Mike, I appreciate it. And before we get off here, I want to tell you, uh, thank you again. Uh, nobody would know this, uh, but you and I. But uh, on April 18th, uh, back, I don't even remember the year now. Um, 1997. 1997, a good friend of mine, Brooke Beringer, uh, passed away in a plane crash. Those of you in Nebraska, you know, know all about that. Uh, you knew the impact that Brooke had on me. Uh, we were very close and you gave me a picture. Um, and I have that on my desk still today. Uh, it goes everywhere with me. Uh, but it was a, a picture of Brooke under center, uh, looking pretty much right back at the camera. And I look at that every single day and I think about, you know, what a amazing young man he was and, you know, just think what he could have accomplished. But, uh, I, I want to say thank you, uh, for that, because, uh, like I said, since, you know, 97, uh, I've had that, that picture on my desk and that's because of you. And I want to say thanks. Well, you're absolutely welcome. I truly believe the same thing, just a couple of years older than you are. And, and lived uh, through all of that. I, I idolized him from the standpoint of being a fan. Never had the opportunity to meet him or anything. But uh, um, the the story and and the the good that he did uh, when he was with us was amazing. And and it's it's awesome. You can tell that uh, him and Coach Osborne, I think, probably had a little bit of influence on on the great person you've become. But uh, by all means, I, I know exactly the picture you're talking about, and I have it downstairs. So. Well, again, I appreciate it. And thank you so much for the time, Mike. And, and I would love to come back on. I, I do have a lot of other stories <laughs> that we can talk about. And I know that you're, you're limited on time, but uh, we could talk for a long time. That we could. All righty. Well, safe travels here in a couple of days out to California to see your son. And uh, you know what? I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Mike.